I am kicking into part two of this series called In Secret, and we're basing ourselves in a scripture that's found in Matthew. And last week, Frosty opened up talking about the spiritual discipline of prayer, which is something that all believers should practice, this spiritual discipline of communicating with God. And then I was assigned a different spiritual discipline to talk about this week. And this is one that a lot of Christians tend to just brush aside, and they say, nah, that one's not really for me. They might have done that back in the Old Testament, but I don't really need to do that today. And that is the discipline of fasting. Are you guys excited? Yeah? Because we're going to talk about fasting today and why this spiritual discipline still applies to us. Now, I only find it fitting that I start this message with a confession. I, Darcy Michelle Frost, had kind of excused myself from a proper fast for the last three years due to pregnancy or breastfeeding, right? I had said, well, I need to eat because I'm either growing a baby or I'm sustaining a baby. And I had abstained from other things and not properly engaged with fasting, which in biblical standards, properly fasting is fasting from food. I had not properly engaged with that with over three years until I was assigned this message on fasting. So I think it's appropriate that I open up with a confession, because as I was writing this message, God challenged me. And let's be real, he convicted me. And he might convict a few people here today. He might challenge a few people here today. Uh, Because in today's age, I think this is one of those spiritual disciplines that can get watered down a little bit. It can get watered down to where people will say things with good intentions, and they have a good heart. They'll say, ah, you know what? If it's too hard to fast from food, just, just fast from Netflix. Or just fast from online shopping. Or just fast from sugar. And they throw out these, what I would call, baby steps. Watered down steps um, that should ideally lead to a greater engagement with the spiritual discipline of fasting. People also throw out, you know, sayings say, you know what, just give your time, not your tithes. Or just read a devotional for now, not actual scripture if it's too hard to read. And all of these watered down steps come with a good heart. Because when somebody is saying those things, they're wanting you to just dip your toes into the water instead of shoving you into the deep end first. They want you to dip your toes into the water so you can start to engage with these different disciplines that God has laid out for us in scripture. But as I was writing this message, God showed me this clear picture of this this pool that starts out with this shallow end where you can dip your toes in, but it naturally leads to a deep end. And God is calling us as a church to move from this shallow end collectively and to move into into the deep end. But in the deep end, it's out of your comfort zone. You can no longer touch the bottom. You can't hold on to the side. You're going to need some spiritual faith muscle to sustain yourself in the deep end. But God is calling us into the deep end together. There's some people that are already in the deep end, and that's great. But collectively, let's draw people out of the shallows and let's go to the deep end together. And if we want to do that, then we need to engage with spiritual disciplines that aren't always easy, that aren't comfortable because they're meant to actually be disciplines in our life. Now, I don't have any problem that the baby steps of spiritual disciplines exist, because I think it's great that baby steps do exist. We do need a way to dip our toes into the water. We do need a way to first get into the pool. But the problem I have is too many people camp out in the shallows when God is calling you deeper. Too many people sit in the shallows for years or decades, and then they'll say things like, man, I just wish I had a deeper faith with God. We'll swim out deeper, right? 
A lot of people can say things, I wish I was hearing more from God. I wish I could, you know, really connect with him in a deeper way. And God is saying, I want to connect with you in a deeper way too, but you got to swim out and not stay camped out in the shallows where things are just easy. Now, in the last three years, I did engage with fasting, with like abstaining from things like sugar, caffeine, TV, social media, and I abstained from those things in order to seek God in a more personal, real way, a greater connection with God. And I did those things that were easier because I excused myself with a medical reason of pregnancy or breastfeeding. Now, I still have one of those medical reasons. Y'all, I am not pregnant. Don't worry. But as I wrote this message, God challenged me and convicted me, and he said, look, you might not be able to give up food for a full 21 days, but you could give it up for some. You might not be able to fully give it up for, you know, an absolute fast for three whole days with no food and no water. But you know what you could do is you could engage with a partial fast. You could do some. And I think too easy people have brushed it aside because they think fasting, I have to engage with the absolute or the supernatural fast, which I'll talk about those in a second. But really God is saying you can do something. So if you don't have a medical reason not to, then I think you ought to engage with fasting food in some way, shape, or form. And we're going to talk about that and what that means. Because God is calling us as a church to engage with this discipline and to do so with a fresh heart and with pure motives. So let's go to the book of Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 to 18. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, church, I want us to really unpack this discipline together. I want us to first understand what we can abstain from then what we can engage with, and then what happens when we fast. But before we dive into all of that, there's two things that are really clear in this passage of scripture. And the first, it says, when you fast, not if you fast, meaning this was an expectation of the Christian's lifestyle in biblical days. It was expected in the same way that prayer was expected. And the early believers saw this spiritual discipline as something that was integral to their faith. And not only that, but every time that fasting is mentioned in scripture, it's talking about food or food and drink. So we can gather that fasting is primarily about food and it is meant to make you uncomfortable. It is meant to bring on some hunger pains and those hunger pains then help to highlight the weakness of the flesh and desire for something that is greater, desire for a connection with God, right? So it says when you fast, not if you. And then secondly, it speaks about fasting in secret. Now, why would Jesus mention this? Because in Old Testament times, fasting was often very symbolic of a time of grieving, a time of mourning, or a time of repentance. It was often this very public display where in scripture you'll read that it says they mourned, they fasted, they wept. They were all kind of coupled together. Fasting in the uh, Old Testament biblical times went hand in hand with sorrow. And you know, you know, sometimes when you get some shocking news that's just devastating or shocking news that a loved one has passed away, it kind of just saps away your appetite. 
That's often what would happen in Old Testament times. They would be just grieving and mourning. They just didn't even want food. They couldn't, they, it wasn't what they wanted. They just lost their appetite. And it was this public display of mourning and this public display of grieving. Maybe you've read in some Old Testament scriptures where it says they put on sackcloth and put on ashes and they mourned and they wailed at the city gates. Like it was a public display of mourning and fasting. So it was coupled with that. And in many cases in the Old Testament, like in the story of Esther, mourning can bring on fasting. But then sometimes people uh, or groups of people like the Jews in that case were called and instructed to go on a three-day fast in order to seek God's help and to plead for God's help. So in the Old Testament, you knew when somebody was fasting because it was the custom of that day to, in the days that you were fasting, to skip your normal grooming and to really make a show of your suffering, right? To really put on this display. And so when Jesus teaches about fasting in the New Testament, he actually challenges this behavior. And he says to people, wash your face. Go about your day like normal. Stop putting on a show and contorting your face to gain praise from people. Because that's what the Pharisees were doing. They weren't really fasting to connect with God. They were fasting to get praise from people. And so they're just, oh, I'm suffering. Oh, I'm so hungry. Right? He's saying, stop doing that. You're just trying to get praise from people instead of actually connecting with me. So he flipped it on its head. And in the Old Testament, when it was coupled with mourning, it was coupled with sorrow. He said, wash your face and anoint yourself with oil. And that's because oil was symbolic with joy. So essentially he was turning fasting from what used to be to something new to say, look, it should actually bring you joy. It should actually bring you closer to God. It should be done in secret because it's not about other people. It's about your connection with God. And so don't make this obvious show of it. Don't announce it. If you announce to people that you're going on a fast or that you're fasting from somebody, from something, it says that that is your entirety of your reward. That's your full reward. Praise from people. Look, and if you're fasting for weight loss, also your motives are not pure. If you're like, okay, I could go on fasting because then that would help because I needed to cut that out anyway. Guess what? That weight loss is your reward in full if that is your motive because fasting should be all about God. It should be all about putting our attention on him. We need to have a pure heart to go before God in secret and to focus purely on him. And fasting is essentially denying your physical senses to open up your spirit for greater intimacy. Fasting can bring restoration to your soul. Fasting can bring you peace and guidance. And fasting can even bring you joy if you allow your hunger pains to drive you closer to God. So the first thing you need to know about fasting is that it will lead to hunger pains. It's meant to. Let's look at the parable of the prodigal son, because many of you would know this story well, but for those who don't, there was once a father with two sons. And one of these sons asked for his full inheritance while his father was still alive. Just so you know, in this time, that was highly offensive because essentially that son was saying, look, I want my inheritance more than your presence. Now, that would be offensive in today's day and age too, right? Well, the father gave it to him. And this son went out and he just squandered all of his wealth. And he wasted it all. And he found himself in a pig pen feeding these pigs and looking at the pigs and saying, man, if I could only have some of food like what the pigs have. 
He was willing to eat pig slop because he had already lost it all, already squandered it all on the world. His hunger pains led him to squandering everything on the world, and the world could not satisfy. In Luke 15, 16 to 17, it says, he longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. Hunger pains will lead you to fill a need. You see, after this son had tried to fill that void in his heart with every possible thing that the world had to offer him, he ended up in the mud with the pigs. And what woke him up? What led him to come to his senses? Hunger. Hunger is what led him up. See, he was so hungry that he finally woke up to the reality of his situation, the reality of his mess. It was hunger that showed him the separation he had put between himself and his father's love and care. The father never drove him away. The father never banished him. It was the son who put distance between himself and the father, and it was hunger that actually led him to repentance and reconnection with his father. Fasting will lead to hunger pains and hunger will drive you. Now, I said there's a few different things that you can abstain from. So there's a few ways that you can fast that's in the Bible. And there's the partial fast. This is something that you might have heard of the Daniel fast before. That's a partial fast where you give up certain types of food for a certain period of time. Often the Daniel fast is 21 days. So that kind of pairs up with our 21 days of prayer. But Daniel, he cut out all pleasant bread, meats, and wine. And so that is a partial fast where you still engage with some foods, but not all foods. There's a normal fast in the Bible, which is where you give up food for a period of time. And you can still have liquids or, if you wanted to go another step, just water with that. Now, I encourage you, if you want to dabble with some fasting, I'm not saying jump fully into the deep end right now. Swim out to the deep end. Train yourself by first starting with giving up a meal. Could you go without one meal for the day and just have water for that period of time? Then could you do two meals? Then could you do 24 hours so that you can build up the endurance to do a longer fast? Because there's fast that I'm about to mention, two types, but these next two types will really engage you with some spiritual warfare. And just like Navy SEALs need to train before they ever go into physical combat, you actually need to train your body before you go into one of these greater fasts. Because there's an absolute fast that we read about in the Bible, which is no food, no drink. This is like what Esther called the Jewish people to do for three whole days when they were pleading with God to save the Jewish people. Then there's the supernatural fast. In fact, with the absolute fast, health experts say, please don't do any more than three days. So this next one is supernatural. You need God's help to sustain you if you do a supernatural fast, which is like what Moses did, what Jesus did for 40 days, no food and no drink. So there's all these different types of fast in the Bible. And even as I was preparing this message over the last like month that I'm reading scripture, so many times it says they fasted and prayed. They fasted and prayed. They fasted and prayed. It was always coupled together. But a lot of Christians these days, we just pray. But God is calling us again to fast and pray, just like they did in biblical times. 
Now, there's also another type of fast that I want to mention that does help you just dip your toes in the water, that does help you engage for the first time. And I think you can pair this one with a food fast even as you're swimming out into the deep. And I'm calling this one a freedom fast. That's not a technical name. That's just what I called it because it sounds good, right? Freedom fast. We can call it that. We can make it a thing. But essentially, what a freedom fast does is it helps you gain freedom from anything that has come to enslave you. So this would speak to some of those fasts that aren't specifically connected to food. And although it's not about food, it can still lead to hunger pains in your spirit as you recognize how much in this world you've come to depend on, how much in this world you actually gain your strength from. See, this could be a great first step to explore the power of giving up something earthly to gain more of what is heavenly. Maybe you need freedom from social media. Maybe you need freedom from an addiction. Maybe you need freedom from a relationship. Maybe you need freedom in a certain area of your life because something has started to have power over you. So giving that up for a certain period of time in order to gain more of what is heavenly could actually give you more perspective on that very thing. See, fasting in any style will lead to hunger pains that will ultimately drive you to repentance and reconnection with your heavenly father, which means fasting should lead us to humility. Because hunger has a way of waking us up to the weakness of our flesh. Richard Foster said, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. More than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. Because what happens if we're fasting and we start to get these massive hunger pains? We feel like we're driven to fill a need. And oftentimes, if you're new to fasting, It's easy to try to just distract yourself and to fill that need in other ways so that you don't think about the hunger pains that you have physically. So have you ever been fasting and all of a sudden you wanted to distract yourself from the hunger pains so you just sat down to watch a movie? Or maybe you got onto a dating app to find some connection there. Or maybe you went online to do some shopping to just distract yourself. Or maybe you started to pick up all those DIY projects that you didn't have time for before, but now that you want to take your eyes off of those hunger pains, you're now putting all your attention onto that. Have you ever been in that moment? See, fasting should not be about making time for more of your hobbies that are earthly. Because you shouldn't give up one earthly thing to just fill it with another earthly thing. Fasting should actually make more time for God. And God always wants more time with you. You know, how often do we say, I want to know the, God, the plans God has for me. I want to know his purpose for me. I want to know his vision for my life. And God's like, I want to tell you, but you won't sit down long enough for me to unravel it for you. Have you ever seen that meme where it says this meeting could have been an email? Well, guess what? God does not want to send you a bullet-pointed email about the plans for your life so that you could just skim it and go, okay, God, thank you, got it. God actually wants to sit down with you. He wants to meet with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants more of our time. And fasting helps us to separate ourselves from the things in this world to be more present in our meeting with God. So yes, it will reveal the things that control you. Did you know that idols are not just man-constructed idols made of wood or whatnot. People think that's what idols are, but idols are that. And whatever you give your strength to or draw your strength from could become an idol in your life. Whatever you give your strength to or draw your strength from could become an idol 
in your life, and it could start to have some form of power over you. And sometimes that's food for people, or sugar, or caffeine, but also busyness could be an idol. If you're trying to fill your schedule with so many things so that you don't even have to think about having a conversation with God, busyness could have become an idol for you. For some people, it is the screen or TV or Netflix or online platforms have become an idol and it's zapping so much of your attention. Exercise can become an idol. See, good things can become an idol if all of a sudden you're giving your strength to them and you're drawing your strength from them. They were never meant to be the thing that sustains you in this life. Work can become an idol, an addiction become an idol. A person in your life could become an idol if you are drawing all your strength from that person and giving your, all your strength to that person. Fasting has a way of showing us what enslaves us. And this is why I think it's wise for us to practice coupling fasting with food with some type of freedom fast so that we can really gain fresh perspective and really draw closer with God and not depend on those things in our lives that maybe have gone too high up the priority list. So for example, maybe what you could do is pair a food fast with a freedom fast, like over 21 days of prayer. And even though we're a week into our journey and you haven't started yet, start now. Do the next 21 days. Do the days leading up to Vision Sunday or the days leading up to Easter, whatever it may be. Maybe do some type of normal or liquid fast. Maybe you could do that for three different days for 24 hours, like every Monday for three weeks. And you could also pair that up with giving up something in your life that you are giving way too much time to. Perhaps it's the TV, as an example. Or maybe... You could do a partial fast, like a Daniel fast for 21 days, and give up something like social media if that has any form of power over you. When you can do those things, what do you do in that time when you're usually on social media or usually, you know, watching the TV? You engage with God. You don't fill that with another earthly hobby to distract you and be like, okay, I'm not watching TV. Now I have time to do all those other things. No, 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 no. You give up those things so that you can spend more time with God and focus on him. So I want to challenge all of us to do some type of food fast. And I think adding a little freedom fast to that can be so valuable if there is anything in your life that has come to enslave you. Ask yourself a big question and say, what is out of balance in my life? Is there anything out of balance in my life? Has anything become an idol to me that all of a sudden I'm drawing my power from that thing or I'm giving all of my power to that thing? Fasting should lead us to humility, which is admitting that our flesh is so weak and our mind can be so weak, our heart can be so weak. It is a chance for us to realign our lives and our hearts with Jesus. A chance to bring everything back into clear focus and to set ourselves apart for God. I love what Lisa Bevere said. She said, fasting is not about food, it's about separation. Meaning separation from the things of this world and consecrating ourselves for God. Consecration simply means the act of making something holy or setting something apart for God. And she went on to say, a diet can change the way you look, but a fast will change the way you see. A fast will change the way you see because it changes your perspective, which leads me to the last thing I want to talk about today, which is fasting focuses your heart on heaven. Fasting with a pure heart and with pure motives, with no desire for public recognition, 
No desire for praise from people will actually open up heaven over your life. It will reframe your perspective about your earthly situation and reignite this love for God. You know, have you ever held up a magnifying glass? I don't know if y'all can see that in the back row. This is the biggest one we had at church. Just pretend you can see it. Well, have you ever held up a magnifying glass outside on a sunny day? And if you hold it in such a way, you can converge all the rays of the sun into one single point on a piece of paper, right? That's an experiment we do as kids. What happens? The paper starts to heat up. It does. It starts to smolder in that spot. That smolder turns to a burn. That burn turns to a flame. That flame becomes a fire, all because of the focused rays of the sun, right? If fast, I mean, if a focused a focus like that can start a fire in the natural. Imagine what kind of a focused fast could do by starting a fire in your heart. Because did you know that the focus, it's a Latin word focus, actually comes from the words hearth or fireplace, which means the place where a fire starts. So if fasting actually focuses our heart on heaven, what essentially it does is we're holding up a magnifying glass to the Son of God, and we're saying, God, would you start a fresh fire in me? Because I'm going to focus on you and I'm going to allow you to search my heart and burn away anything that is not for you. Burn away anything that has got some type of power over me. I'm going to focus my heart on heaven and I want you to rekindle a flame in my heart. That's what fasting does is it focuses us on heaven. Keys can come join me now. I love that focus stands for fireplace or hearth. And if anybody, if any of us can just take something away from this message, I just want you to remember this picture of a magnifying glass. Because this is going to be helpful when you get hungry, when you start to feel those hunger pains. Because practically, what can you do when you're fasting? If you're abstaining from food or from something else in life, what do you engage with? How do you focus your hunger pains? How do you draw it closer to the, draw you closer to the Father? Will you hold up a magnifying glass to heaven and say, okay, in this moment, I'm going to pray. I'm going to position myself with a posture of humility. All the different postures that Frosty talked about last week when we pray, you could have those postures. If you run out of words, you could just position yourself with stillness, with awe and reverence before God. You could worship. If you don't know what to pray, you could just worship and focus in and praise God. If you get distracted on your own, you could have coffee with a friend and talk about God. You could talk about what God is doing in your life and that's gonna focus you in on the things of heaven. You could study his word. You could meditate on a piece of scripture. If you start to get lost in scripture, pull out a certain portion and just meditate on that. Just ruminate on that and just say, God, what are you showing me through this piece of scripture? There's so many ways that we can just focus ourselves back on heaven and if we do that, God will, will search our hearts and he will burn a fresh fire within us. Because for some people, I know that there's some people in the room where it's easy to just go through the motions as a Christian and it's easy to just tick the boxes and say, oh, I go to church, so that should be enough. Oh, I gave up this for 21 days, that should be enough. Can I tell you, you're sitting in the shallows God is calling you to something deeper. It's going to make you uncomfortable. But if you're just in the routine of being a Christian, 
and you want to experience more of God and truly know all that he has for you, then I challenge you to focus your heart on heaven through the discipline of fasting and let him burn a fresh fire within you. A flame of intimacy with God once again to take you back to that first love moment when you first became a Christian. Let him rekindle a fire of consecration where he burns away anything in your life that is not holy. Let him rekindle a flame of revival in your heart, which is simply a rebirth or a reawakening to what God is doing. And any revival, any mass move of revival starts within the individual. If you want to see revival in your workplace or in your school or in your community or in your family, it starts with you first allowing that flame to burn with you. We fast from food to feast on God. We have this intentional, deliberate focus so that God could set a fire in our hearts once again. Let me just finish with this story that's found in Luke 24. On resurrection morning, some women who were followers of Jesus, they went to the tomb with some spices so that they could anoint and honor Jesus' body. The fact that they were going there with spices means that they fully expected to find a dead body, but what they found was an empty tomb. And they went back to tell the other disciples. But it says that the other disciples thought they were talking nonsense and they didn't believe what the women said. But there was something in Peter that did. And Peter ran to the tomb so that he could see for himself and he saw, and he believed in that moment. But then it also says right after that, that there were these two disciples that were walking on their way to the town called Emmaus. And they were talking with each other. In fact, it says they were arguing about all the things that had just happened, about the crucifixion and the supposed resurrection that the women had talked about. And they couldn't wrap their minds around all of it. And then all of a sudden, a third man appears and just starts walking with them. And it says in Luke that they were prevented from seeing that it was Jesus walking with them. And Jesus just starts to engage them in conversation. And then it says that he started to interpret the scriptures for them and settle their disputes. In Luke 24, from verse 27, it says, Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. They came near the village where they were going, and he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, Stay with us, because it's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to him. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us? While he was talking to us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us. See, these two men had a hunger to know the truth about what had happened in these last few days. These two men allowed themselves to be humbled by what they thought was a stranger interpreting scripture for them. These two men then invited that man to feast with them so that they could keep talking. And in that moment, what happened was, is their hearts focused in on heaven and they realized that they were sitting with Jesus himself. And then what did they say? As they focused in on heaven, weren't our hearts burning? Weren't our hearts burning within us while we talked on the road and while he interpreted scriptures for us? Weren't our hearts burning? All of a sudden, there was a flame that just absolutely extinguished any form of disbelief in their hearts. There was a flame that rekindled intimacy at that table. And you know what's even greater? Oh, God's so in the details. They were on their way to Emmaus. You know what Emmaus means? Hot springs. 
I love that they were sitting in a place where there was a hot spring bubbling up in their heart. And you know what happens when there's a bubble up in your heart? There's an overflow. It says, after Jesus disappeared, they ran back to tell the other disciples to say, what the women said was true. What Peter said was true. We were just sitting with Jesus himself. You know what fasting will do for you? It focuses your heart in on heaven and it makes your heart like a hot spring for other people that are sitting around you. Not only does it bring you warmth and sustain you, but it will bubble and overflow to the people around you. I love that Emmaus means hot springs. So this week, I challenge all of us to fast and pray. But in secret, don't make a big show of it. I challenge you to go into deeper waters and strengthen that faith muscle. Will it be uncomfortable at times? Yes. But let those hunger pains focus you. Let those hunger pains humble you. Let those hunger pains burn a fresh fire within you. A fire that can reawaken your spirit and remind you of all that God has for you. I pray that fasting will make your heart like a hot spring. Not just for you, but for your family, for your community, for your friends, that it would flow on to every single person around you. So I challenge us all to fast and pray in secret. Amen.